2: To the March edition of Signal, the podcast from the MediaNet. Hooray! Hooray! thanks for the two of you that Thank decided you. to participate in that sam we'll come back to you in a moment uh it's your host james polter here thanks for joining us once again this is signal from the MediaNet, the podcast that goes behind the scenes of media faith journalism and all things related to that uh, and we are here at the studios in london uh, broadcasting from our friends over at premier christian radio and i am joined in the studio this month by an assorted cast of friends Hello, everybody. Hooray! Oh, hooray! No, we've Hello. Hello. done hooray. 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 <laughs> It's not written down for us. I didn't know. In the chair, uh, Mr. Sam Hales. Hello. Now, editor of Premier Christianity Magazine. Hello
3: oh that's very kind I'm sure you did this last time as well uh, this is very kind we're now, <laughs>
2: we're now going to do it for every episode I, I think uh, so still the um, editor not
3: <laughs> still I haven't been fired yet <laughs> that,
2: that voice that you can hear that you probably know the dulcet tones of the extraordinary funny Mr Paul Carenza
4: hello I'm not being that funny today so that's okay uh, but just it, build it down okay, build well, it if you can
2: work on that that'd we'll, be great we'll see what we can do <laughs> okay and uh, my uh, good friend and colleague from the world of broadcasting media podcasting and all things interesting at the BBC Miss Linda Davies hello hello Missing Mrs. Sorry, Mrs. No, Lindsay. Right. Sorry to your husband. <laughs> Welcome back.
5: Thanks very much. N- nice, Thanks for
2: having me. Nice to see you. I've seen you multiple times in a very short space of time in the past few weeks. Which has been lovely.
5: It's because we did a very exciting um,
2: digital labs with the Church of England. We did. Tell us all about that.
5: Well, um, the Church of England ran their first digital labs a couple of weekends ago, yes. which was getting uh, developers and interested people and techie people and designers to come and think about some digital ideas that will further the work of the Church of England yes. across the country.
2: And hopefully the Church more broadly, but obviously the Church of England, which is broad in and of itself. Itself, yes. What ideas were come up with?
5: Well, there was loads of different things. Um, and it kind of was the the really kind of practical stuff that kind of makes people's lives better. Um, so kind of databases or um, kind of Twitter campaigns. Um, or And it was some really amazing stuff about, um, you know, uh, Pokemon Go type AR apps that kind of explain things.
2: Augmented reality. Augmented reality. For the <clears throat> reality. unindoctrinated into that. So it just,
5: world. it felt like a really exciting place to be because it, 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 it just, I think it was a real... Um, rubber stamp if I can say that on that you know there's there's a real m- match between the church and faith and digital that people are really excited about and seeing how their skills and their passions can work with their faith.
2: Absolutely so, yeah and there was two great, so there's two projects that have come out of it yeah. um, which we'll be following up with the, the guys who were in those kind of winning teams and also Adrian over at the Church of England team uh, in coming episodes but the the two projects that came out, one which was called Kofi House which was yeah. uh, the project that basically was setting up a resource centre for everyone it wants to get in touch from you know, How do I, you know, a sermon that I need one week to a powerpoint slide deck the next and everything in between that the church needs to kind of run its daily life
3: Kofi being C of E that's correct said, Yes, that's uh, amazing yes. I don't think I've ever heard that before code now. But a, very
2: ni- a very nice coffee cup logo that went mm. with it as well Kofi ah. house coffee. That's um,
5: and the second yeah. one was a, um, a bot called ask the church which is a, a way of uh, people being able to ask the church questions that they might want the answer to but not really know who to speak to so it would work on Facebook Messenger and Twitter, and with the new Church of England website, and eventually with um, voice uh, devices like Alexa and Google Home. Uh, so yeah, some really. Does that mean
3: you could ask like a Church of England bot what do you think about sexuality, and you'd get like an answer back?
4: Basically, yes. Yeah. So it's
3: that's kind, kind of going like... to be amazing if that
5: can <laughs> yeah. be actually agreed on.
4: Uh, an apologetics bot. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, there's yes, no one we'll there. Be so just telling you, it's just it's just an automated yeah. thing. Yeah. That's got doctrine like down pat, <laughs> yeah. and just wow, oh, okay. That didn't, was
2: the idea. We agreed on it. That's great. <laughs>
3: yeah, agreed on it. I'm still
4: struggling with.
2: Yes. Yeah, so, well, I have. Well, stay tuned to following synods to work out <laughs> yeah. whether or not that's that's doable. So, um, yeah. No, it was a really exciting day, and I think for me, I was just super. I, so, Linda and I were both on, on the judging panel, and I think seeing just this array of different people come together from all over the country, actually, as well, which was which mm. was great. And then the following event that we're going to do, I think next year, will be up in uh, probably Manchester or Leeds, one of the kind of northern northern powerhouse type cities, which we'll talk about more coming in a moment uh, around just bringing together a group of technologists people that love media marketing all sorts of different areas and just kind of getting in a room for a whole day Um, and it was like a full full on day wasn't it yeah
5: and it was really great for me to kind of find out what people felt was really important there were a lot of issues um, around kind of things that people struggle with church or people's access to church or people's passions about what church should look like that I kind of hadn't quite comprehended before. So to see a real kind of breadth of ideas and passions and desires about how technology can, can make church more more kind of closer to people and we don't want to say relevant, but like it really it really was a fascinating day.
2: Yeah, lots of lots around accessibility as well, which I think was really, really inspiring from kind of different areas of the church, you know, from people that, you know, can't get themselves to a church and how, you know, kind of what does online church look like and how do we kind of connect through those different spaces? Really interesting really interesting time so yeah. more to come on those projects uh, coming up and we'll uh, be following up with the teams that won on the day's uh, in coming episodes Paul you've been out and about or planning to be out and about haven't you since we last spoke uh, yeah bit of everything life on the road gigging comedian and all that sort of stuff so I'm I'm, I'm planning I'm doing a tour with the
4: Bible Society uh, which we're sort of planning writing booking in at the minute and that'll be in May June July I believe um, around about doing 10-12 dates all over the country normally I like to stay close to Guildford um, <laughs> and I don't like to travel much but so this is going to go as far, I think we're going Hull, Preston, Cardiff, Jersey, wow. that sort of stuff. So the really, the
2: really glamorous spots. Putting the miles in, Absolutely.
4: Yeah. So that's The Greatest Story Ever toured, and it's going to be uh, myself and a preacher and a musician and doing the whole Bible via comedy and preaching and things like that.
2: When you're on the road, are you kind of a, a penchant of the, the travel tavern? What's your kind of travel tavern of choice?
4: I love
2: a... Um, uh, well,
4: if, if it's for food, it's, it's got to be harvested. Okay, obviously. Can salad bar. Um, Absolutely. Um, I, I'm doing a gig. This is a typical My Life at the Minute, right? This Saturday, <laughs> I'm doing Aylesbury. Rock and roll. Come, on, uh, come on, now. Saturday night. And then Sunday morning, I'm doing. The, standing in for the Sunday breakfast on BBC Sussex down in Brighton. So I've got a wind of about three and a half hours sleep. Uh, so that will be a day's in at Cobham. Oh, wow.
5: I saw a news story just before I left. It might not be true because I literally just saw the headline. Hashtag There's a petition. Yeah, probably. Sorry about this. There's a petition to rename Aylesbury to Ayles Bowie.
4: Ailes Bowie?
3: Yeah, to um, kind of
5: recognise. Is,
4: is he from there?
5: I don't think so. I think he's from <laughs> Brixton. Well, don't you get anyone from Can Eagle. I just say,
3: I live in Penge, <laughs> and our local Zizzies has been redone with David Bowie stuff everywhere, because where the Zizzies is in Penge is some connection to David Bowie, so I'm claiming David Bowie from Yeah, he Bowie
5: was born in Penge. Beckenham.
3: There you go, Beckenham. Yeah. Yeah. Penge Beckenham is kind of pretty much the same part of the world. If anyone needs a rename, it's Penge. I think,
2: isn't it? <laughs> it sounds like something you clean a toilet with, doesn't mm. it? It's, it's not a great name. Mm, interesting. According to to an article i have here from the bucks herald david barry once played an experimental uh, experimental gig at the friars club in aylesbury in september 1971 <laughs> uh, to see right. he, to see go, if he it. could cut playing it live and after the gig in the friars dressing room he said to woody woodmancy mick ronson and trevor boulder this was great tonight let's form a band and go out and do it properly so apparently that's maybe wow. the connection wow. to birthplace aylesbury. Of- <laughs> birthplace of bowie but
4: not but bear in mind, uh, I've not gigged there yet, so once I've gigged there, they might want to rename it someone else. I mean, I'm not saying the gig's going to be that great, okay. but you never know. You've you got to aim
2: high, that's what I mean. Aim high. I'm
5: trying really hard to mix Aylesbury and Carenza together and it's not, not getting very far.
2: I know. Right. I was trying in my head, it's not It's, it's not, not, really not working, particularly it? fertile pun territory, is it? No. no. Oh, well, well um, good to know that you're out and about, and so when's the tour starting? Uh, something like May-ish. I think we haven't quite even pinned down
4: the dates yet, so bit of that then and okay. uh, not going out Friday nights no, Thursday nights at the minute so there you go Absolutely, because you won,
2: a bit of that and I've got some children's books just come out last week so it's all go classic it's all week go there and in between in between you know kind of coming in here spending time with Sam and I mm. um, you know this is the the life that you lead day to day you're out you know literally Wandering the yeah you know, kind of the plains of, of comedy,
4: <laughs> literally wandering <laughs> the planes of the
2: motorway service stations. The uh, excellent. The cost so is the if you if you're travelling up and down yeah uh, you know, kind of the M1 at some point during the the month of May, pay attention as you go through your nearest service station. You may just see Paul having Absolutely. a pasty. Too you, right.
5: What's 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 your favourite service station? Uh, oh,
2: there's no. that lovely one up on the, it's uh, the M6. It's the question we're M6, all it? asking.
4: Got, it is, isn't it? Well, the M6 has got a lovely one with the farm and the little farm oh, shop. Oh
5: yeah, is it Tem? No, Tembi, no. Yeah, something like yeah.
4: that. I'm not up there that often, but it's classic. Really? Oh, it's vintage, isn't this it?
2: This is uh, probably not core to the usual content <laughs> of the show for new listeners. Uh, this is usually a discussion about faith in the media. But, we, you know, we can also do a spin-off show. We need a spin-off. Your favourite service station. <laughs> yes, yeah, service station. Uh, Sam, what's your favourite service station?
3: I have no idea. I don't
2: travel enough to answer that question. <laughs> South
3: Mims. South Mims is pretty bad. solid.
5: Yeah. Toddington. It's a pretty solid it's, You know you
2: stand with Toddington. Classic. Okay, well, let's move on. Uh, so, <laughs> coming up on the show, we're going to be discussing some of the latest news uh, that is... Uh, you know kind of affecting us up and down the country wherever service station you're listening to us from whether you're in your car or you're know, kind of parked enjoying uh, your latest uh, you know slice from greg's and if that's uh, where you are then you might want to know some of the news that's coming up uh, this past month we've seen a lot of change in the media landscape as always and there's some really interesting things going down And the first thing is the closure and uh, you know kind of death knell maybe for the print industry once more being clanged uh, the closure of the print edition of the enemy after 66 six years the publisher of the magazine uh, they're in consultation right now about redundancies obviously so uh, for those that are affected out there our prayers with those guys for uh, future opportunities but particularly this is a publication that's dear to my heart my uncle wrote for it for many years back in the back in the day um but also as you know, kind of a lover of music and with you know kind of the christian shazam sat across from me i wonder if he's you know, kind of uh, more upset about this uh, sam how do you feel about the death of yet another print pub
3: well uh i'm in denial uh no i'm not really i i think um as someone who obviously works for a monthly print magazine the editor
2: of a new magazine it's it's uh,
3: it's, it's always going to be slightly concerning when you see this sort of things happen it is the way it's going we are consuming more and more di- uh, more stuff in the digital realm um for me i was more of a q reader <laughs> growing up than i was an enemy reader oh. um that Marcy. said i feel like yeah make make of that what you will um my my feeling is in terms of the content i think when magazines go free in my view often the content suffers and i completely understand why that is there's there's less of a budget to play with often um and i i think in trying to kind of broaden out and i think at one point enemy as a free sheet trying to kind of be all things to all people and it wasn't just music anymore it was kind of across the board entertainment um uh, for me that, that that wasn't where I was at so I can't say I was a regular consumer of NME even when it was free um, but that's just my personal opinion and I, I think it, it, we are going to see more magazines and indeed more newspapers I'm still expecting a couple more national newspapers to call it a day in the coming years I'm afraid and it pains me to say it but I think mon- that's the way who's it's Who's your
2: going. money on going next? I don't want to say that I yeah. mean
3: because you know you point out at the top of this James you're absolutely right to these are real people with real jobs who've lost them and obviously as a journalist it's never a good story to hear about journalists losing their jobs so even if they work for a publication I don't buy, or I don't even like. It's still disappointing and upsetting to hear that, um, because these are real people, real jobs,
2: who were doing great work and doing things they really believed in. And absolutely. I mean, I think it's fair to say that it's not the death of the brand by any sense. So you know, the um, the digital uh, audience is growing substantially. Uh, Keith Walker, who's the digital director at Enemy, he was quoted this week as saying that the digital audience has almost doubled over the past two years, uh, and by making their digital platforms the core focus, they'll see an acceleration, hopefully, in in that growth and, and reach more people by being able to refocus. So, I mean, what 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 about you guys? Yeah, reading these things, you've got a lot of these kind of print publications that you've maybe relied upon for a little bit of reach. Paul, what's what's your kind of take on this yeah, situation? Well,
4: I, I mean, I, I'm I'm one of those people who I'm often in on the road, to my service stations, um, <laughs> with my Greg's pasty in hand. Um, and you look at those big branches of, of WH Smith and things like that, and and the magazines there. You look at and go, wow, there are hundreds of these very uh, some niche, some less so. And you think, that, who's buying these? Who is buying these? I've never I've never seen uh, so many. You know, a lot of these people actually walk out with, with with them i i browse and i put them back which is terrible <laughs> Thanks, i was Paul, you're really that. i'm doing my bit you know um but uh but there are so many of them out there and I, you just wonder what they're going to look like in five ten years from now and i think that obviously the thing is, is you know online is is the thing i think what i need to do more online as well is actually not just be looking at the uh, the articles that facebook and twitter are throwing at me but think actually yeah i i value whether it's nme or you know the q, q magazine or dot com whatever it might be nowadays but actually those brands that i'd like and want to Read actually go and find them, but also then how do they how are they monetized? Because I you know every time I pretty much click on a link for the Daily Telegraph or something or the Guardian, they're saying oh please give us a bit, or some of them are saying the begging bowls us- out. Yeah, some saying you need to pay to see this article, and then I invariably just click close, you know, and just try and find the same stuff elsewhere, and that's not sustainable. So I don't know um, how it'll look in ten years. From it's
5: then. the same for me, and I think actually. I don't want to admit this, but I, I probably don't value journalism in the way that I should do. Like, I bought my first online newspaper subscription after the American election because I kind of... It felt like a real quarter you know uh, support journalism and where research stories and facts and truth out there but i
3: can i ask if that was a uk it, or a us publication it was a us publication mm. okay cuz that's I'm- really interesting because i've seen the i'm sure you have as well seen the research that said after the trump election new york times subscriptions shot up and there has been this trump effect in america of people supporting journalism and and it doesn't seem to have happened in this country in the same way mm. maybe maybe we need someone else elected <laughs> so to we need a trump over here
2: yeah don't i don't know, know. is that okay. the that's not a wish for these types yeah. of things but it
5: is it's because we're so used to getting these things for free and I wonder if it's uh, I wonder what it would mean for kind of the generation that comes next like will, will they just be used to paying for newspapers but online in the way that we you know used to pay for newspapers 20 years ago like it's it's just a really interesting thing about do we do we value this journalism and and what if we can get things for free how what does that talk about you know people's worth and how we are supporting them
2: yeah and obviously because of the shift towards digital that's where a lot of the move right is being kind of sucked up because the advertising revenues are not as high to be able to p- pay for the print costs and you know kind of the actual relevance of people you know digesting more and more small bits of news on their kind of on the on the move we've seen obviously that n- doesn't necessarily translate into actually people digesting long-form formats as well so well and also a migration that when people are digesting long-form formats they're moving into other media types in order to be able to do that so you're seeing like advice and others you know kind of public much more long-form video. Obviously, we've talked multiple times about podcasting and, and, Linda, you guys have got new stuff coming from the BBC in that space as well right now. So, you know, as the push becomes more and more that long-form maybe moves away from long-form written into long-form other digital formats, maybe that's the thing that's well, kind of creating I, I don't know, balance. though, because
3: I've seen research that suggests that people are reading very long articles on their mobile phone. And I'm not typically one of those people. I prefer to have a big computer, laptop in front of me and kind of read it on a bigger screen. But actually, the stuff I'm reading would suggest Just people do. People do read longer articles and I wonder, even if myself and the way I'm thinking about our blog and online and what I commission and what I don't, I think I might be a bit behind the curve on this and need to change my thinking because I've always assumed, well, the, what you do is you do the really short 500 or 800 word blog posts and they get shared. But I'm not sure if that's true. And the thing is, if we all believe that and no one's trying to write the longer stuff then we just get we get caught in this cycle of no one actually doing any proper in-depth journalistic research investigative reporting because we're all just assuming no one's reading it. But I, I'm not sure if that's true. I think people will read longer pieces on their mobile and I've seen research suggest that which I think is a positive thing
5: I agree I also saw a really fascinating um Instazine yesterday, I don't know if you've seen these before. Instazine? An Instazine okay. so it's an account on Instagram called Selfish Mother and she's just launched a magazine on Instagram so she's used nine squares from the grid the first one is a front cover, the second one is a video introduction from the editor the third one is like a, a short thought piece that you read by scrolling around and it's text on images and then it goes on for nine squares and I think it's, I can't remember how often it publishes, but she's using that Instagram format As her magazine and there'll be additional content in Instagram stories how that's, I mean I think she also has a clothing line so she probably uh, you know, it it ties it in and it's subsidised by her selling the clothes and you know this is kind of all promotional but I found that really fascinating the way that this platform was just manipulated to create a magazine Mm. Um, in a different way and you know just the changing face of what journalism means and how it looks i think is yeah that uh, for me was fascinating
4: we've clearly got to think outside the box a bit and think how are things changing and how can we use the new uh, formats we have I instead I was just thinking the way Sam you just said that um, uh, that you're used to you maybe behind the curve commissioning uh, blogs of 500 words and people aren't really wanting those this is a three days I believe after you asked me to write a <laughs> blog for you for 500 words and so clearly no one's read it and you think I ah, don't no, want that anymore right want at all. That. you'll be
3: pleased to hear that the 500 800 words blogs I typically commission do get a lot of traction and yes Paul your excellent tribute Thanks. to <laughs> Sir Ken Dodd That's can be read is. at Premicresciante.com excellent. and actually it. you know on that There's point the plug. I, I were, no, in all seriousness I, I learned through reading Paul's blog something I didn't know about Ken Dodd which is that he was against using blasphemy in his jokes and the quote was um, I think my god has been very good to me which I found mm, very heartwarming yeah. from Ken mm. Dodd it's so, so actually, sad so that, so that, that stuff the 500 word blogs they do get traction oh. I can show you the statistics that show these things get shared they get read all I'm saying is on top of that should we start doing I mean, we already do some longer format stuff but I, I've been interested to see that the longer format stuff can do well as well and like I say I just find that heartwarming because the thing is it's not I don't think I mean this is a very bold statement I don't think it's good for our democracy if all we're consuming is very short soundbitey tweets and really short articles I don't think that's good I think we need people who are going to think through big serious complicated issues we need good journalists to investigate that and you know if you want that to happen then I guess my plea would be spend some money and take out a, a subscription whether that's on online or in print, just something where, where journalists are being paid for their time so they can look into things mm. in depth. I mean, I'll give a, a shout out to BuzzFeed on this point. The whole Russian spy mm. thing that kicked off. How many people knew that six months uh, six months ago, back last summer, BuzzFeed did a two-year-long investigation into all of these deaths on UK soil, which seemed like they had Russian interference and weren't investigated. This only kicked off very recently, but actually investigative journalists were researching that for years and it didn't get traction. So we need to support those journalists who are,
2: who are finding these stories before they even hit the mainstream. Well, one of the things I think that I, I worry about mostly with the the decline in print distribution also the adoption of it is that it's the discoverability of new stories and interesting stories and and the kind of the ability for these niches to actually have you know kind of pride of place because anyone can go start a niche publication online you can go we can go start a new podcast about you know kind of the best motorway service station up and down the country (laughs) but but the likelihood likelihood of ever being able to get up enough funding and backing to be able to turn that into motorway service station weekly into a magazine format obviously there's a it's a silly analogy but i think it works is that there's a barrier to entry that it, you know, comes with doing something in a print publication. And so therefore by default there has to be a level of quality of journalism that goes into something that reaches that level where it kind of can get that distribution in WH Smiths or you know kind of wherever it is that you buy your magazines, other places are available. So yeah that they're that, not
3: though, this is the thing. And that's the problem. I mean it's Smith is it now yeah. isn't it? If you look at the Or your
2: local newsstand I yeah, suppose.
3: It's there the two. Yeah. It's it's changed drastically.
2: And so maybe the lack of distribution channel is one thing. But yeah the not being able to browse a wall of titles and be able to make that Choice knowing that basically everything on that wall had enough backing and funding behind it to be able to employ some journalists and actually put it up on a page does give us a slight problem. I, I've encountered this a lot in the past couple of weeks since The Guardian changed their new weekend format to kind of go into the, the, the tabloid edition. Um, you know, I'm finding myself buying into, you know, kind of buying the, the weekend papers again because the formats are so much easier to digest. Mm. And actually, the discoverability of stories I wouldn't have otherwise paid attention to because they're just a click and a scroll away does have I mean, do you, are you? Guys, still consuming a weekly, daily paper? I'm is that to, something the, you pick up? The way that I consume
4: my uh, written, printed journalism is, I do subscribe to the week, the yeah. uh, uh, you know, which collates together yes. um, uh, lots of different newspapers, and I find it's a great way of working out. Right, okay, the Telegraph said this about it, but the Guardian said this about it, and that's been quite nice. Um, they, they, I think, then have their own challenge. Uh, that in more recent years, they're going, Oh well, do we just draw these feeds from national newspapers? Is it other websites? Which are the trustworthy websites? And it's a discussion. I know you've had on this podcast. before before, which websites do you actually go to and do you trust as as a news supplier really and which ones do you not so that's a constant ongoing thing as well but yeah i think it's like that i find a great way of digesting stuff for me but again it's there's a mix in there of the short and the long and and it all depends on on the idea sometimes things are best in a tweet sometimes you need these two-year buzzfeed investigations sometimes things are like the serial podcast and sometimes it's something a bit more bite-sized so you just need the outlets though so you can actually get get hold of these things
5: but i do think and i and i guess this has always been an issue to some sense but we have so much more power to choose the agenda that we're interested in now than we than i i think we ever have before and i think that is the danger that you know why would you sit through a news bulletin that tells you about an election in france if you're not interested in an election in france and you do need Somebody or something to say no. This is really interesting, and this is the reason why, and this is why it's going to affect you. Mm. It's probably been the case for years, but it does feel more than ever. I can choose exactly what news I want to consume, and that will not be challenged.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, up until recently, I would sort of defend the BBC and say, well, this is why we need the BBC because they they do this right. You you look at a bulletin, they will talk about the French elections, whereas others are apparently, you know, perhaps more reluctant to do that because of advertising or whatever. <coughs> but now, actually, even with the BBC News app, you can say, I just want articles Mm. about sport and france and nothing else i mean i don't know who that person would be but even so you know you can customize the news you're receiving on the bbc news app um and i I guess like you i have some mixed feelings on is that a good thing um in some ways it is in some ways it is because i don't care about sport and i can get rid of it but then you think if i can do that with more important
2: topics is that a problem interesting well we will see how whether or not this you know trend continues and you can start putting your bids in now to sam on which you think of the national newspapers is going to go under i'm sure he'll be very <laughs> excited to hear from you talking just about- look at the statistics
3: <coughs> they're freely available online it's
2: very worrying uh, talking about other major national institutions and the changes that might come to them we've also seen news in the past couple of weeks that the uh, bids to attract channel four where they're going to relocate their staff is now definitely confirmed that they'll be moving out of london and uh, there's a couple of different towns in consideration at the moment um potentially uh, out in uh, Wales and then also up in the the north of England as well as we looked at moving people out. Channel 4 have uh, confirmed that their Victoria location will change and 300 staff will be moving out of London uh, to make way for the flagship location uh, somewhere else in the country. Uh, how do we feel about the, this kind of move? Obviously, uh, Linda, you guys at the BBC have obviously been through this with the move to Salford and obviously uh, now a number of years of that being bedded in. Do you think that it's right that we see Channel 4 following the similar suit and what, what kind of productivity um, is going to come from that?
5: Well, I think, I mean uh, obviously at the time it's a massive decision for a lot of people to make it's very unsettling Um, but in the long run I think if these things are getting new voices and different voices in broadcasting then that can only be a good thing really Um, you know it's personally it's it's disruptive but um, yeah I do think there's a real benefit I mean, I think that's why local radio still continues to thrive. And, you know, with the, with the bad weather recently, everybody was reporting how brilliant it was. Um, you know, the stats for local radio just went through the roof. Like, it is... People people need to know that there are people like them in the media. And so, for me, this, as unsettling as it is, can only be a good thing.
2: Paul, you, you do a lot of local radio, and you've been out and about around the place to kind of be interviewed from place to place. Where, where would you... If you had your money to go put Channel four HQ somewhere else in the country have you got uh, any, Gilf- any other Gilford, right?
4: <laughs> I think we've got lots of uh, MD offices uh, that would be fantastic actually and yeah, funny you say I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm hosting the uh, BBC Sussex and Surrey uh, breakfast on this Sunday and they said the forecast is for snow people you cannot get enough of snow on local radio they love it <laughs> tuning on in come on come on the snow uh, just for local radio purposes but in terms of Channel 4 as you, as Linda said it's it can be very unsettling at the time of course and so uh, we, we're in no way diminishing that as you, if they went to Birmingham which they'd be talking about you know that that's not a bad thing. It's not a you know it's it's a very big city for having not much in terms of the, the major media networks there, um, and uh, yeah, I mean I can see the benefit of that. I know obviously you've got people like Sky are sort of just west of London, yeah. and I know that they have a habit of coming into central London for meetings to sort of meet creative people up in the the middle. So you know people can travel a bit, and that's there's no bad thing. So I think somewhere like that might be quite quite a good good long term. I mean
2: habit. obviously the, with the BBC, you guys obviously have now made way out of te- Television Centre and yeah you know they're being kind of refilled by all sorts of lovely. Uh, very supposedly affordable luxury apartments going in there um, but with Channel 4 the key difference I suppose is that they are talking now about keeping the London HQ and now making that available for uh, indies and regional broadcasting teams to kind of come and use as a London base so do we think that this is just going to be a kind of token that we've moved the heart out of London but actually you know, you'll you find that that, occup- that office suddenly has a lot of people hot desking from it uh, You know, that would otherwise have moved up to the north so what, what would you, be your take if you were being shifted out Sam did you, you, you know, want to of go and make a move down there
3: <laughs> well from my perspective look, I grew up in Eastbourne um, and let me tell you there are no national broadcasters or magazines based in Eastbourne oh, that's I, went a shame. To, I went to university in Southampton and you know there's there's some good media stuff going on in Southampton but but not really on a national level and I think to be honest I took, I took the view if you can't beat them join them I'm not going to find my dream job in Southampton or Eastbourne great places though they are so I moved to London um, so and I think a lot of people forced out clearly you know I was able to do that it is financially a massive massive deal um, and so in one sense I'm really pleased I think yes let's move up further north and you know base media up there and the other reason I think it's really important not just practically of trying to yeah you know, make make entry into the media a bit easier for younger people is, is one great reason to do it but another more practical reason I think is is there is a culture in London that is different to the rest of the rest of the country and I think this even goes to the heart of the media not really not really seeing Brexit coming to the extent it should have done not really seeing Trump coming to the extent it should have done not seeing the financial crash coming at all Mm. i think there is a london culture i do and i know people talk about the liberal metropolitan elite and you know i don't want to sound too uh you know right wing or whatever the phrase is you know i I accept that sometimes that could be an unhelpful phrase but there is some truth in it there is some truth that there is a particular culture and mindset in london that's not found the rest of the country and if particularly national broadcasters want to be representative of the whole country i think it's a very good thing to move out of london
5: and i think it's less about the physical location it's more about the voices so you know you can move the entire of channel 4 as it is to cardiff but if you don't get some people in that care about issues in Cardiff or speak for the youth in Cardiff, then you've got its kind of a pointless exercise. Somewhat
2: of tokenism, if you. Yeah,
5: it's—it's it's how do you—it's how do you bring in those representatives from people all around the country? That's the big issue. You know, we can—you can work from anywhere. Nowadays, really can't you? So you know mm. your physical basis. We all know James
2: does. <laughs> 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 we certainly again. I'll work from anywhere that gives me a desk, some Wi-Fi. Um, and even here, coffee. he comes here and I, I will be here. Takes over time. my desk. I do try from time to time. Well, in terms of news, then there is a lot afoot. But w- let's turn our kind of thinking now to the world of entertainment, which is uh, particularly where two of our friends here uh, spend a lot more time. Uh, I want to talk first of all about some of the uh, changes that we're seeing over in the podcasting landscape. Uh, you yeah, know, we've got a couple of new things apparently coming from the B. To us a little bit yeah, about the bees
5: doing out. loads of podcasts at the moment, so there's lots of um, new podcasts. Some originals, so these are podcasts that haven't been broadcast on air. So there's one called the Boring Talks, which is all about. Um, there's a conference called the Boring Conference, which talks about the history of wooden pallets and various <laughs> things like that. So that's out at the moment. Yeah, I mean, podcasting is still so new, and I think has still got a very specific audience i don't think it's i know we talked about this last time i don't think it's a mainstream behavior but the beauty of it is it can be really niche and so um yeah i think i think it's great that the bbc are doing some new ones but i think it's also great that lots of other voices are doing new ones and you're
2: particularly pushing into things like original comedy as well so yeah 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 yeah, those kind of voices kind of coming in i mean what's the thinking there about making that more available because up until now obviously yeah comedy on the BBC has been somewhat limited into different buckets. There's a couple of places where it pops up in the schedule day-to-day. Well, but, radio, do you have more Does it have more life, I suppose, as a podcast? Is there an opportunity to grow something more that's different there?
5: I think it's just about it being in places where people can take it with them. So that's the great thing about podcasts is that you're not tied to a, a schedule. Yeah. Um, and you can consume it when you want to and, you know, it doesn't feel out of place because it doesn't have, you know, time references or the news halfway through it. So I think it's that. I think there's also something about... Um, uh, with a lot of original stuff, you can bring in new voices and you can give people this opportunity. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential and excitement.
3: T- two of the best things the BBC does is the Now show and, uh, and the the news quiz. And the last time I listened to those live was when I was about nine years old and my dad was driving the car and he had it on the background. And-
0: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard.
3: I listen to them every single week on podcast and I just I can't ever imagine tuning in for a set time to listen to either of those two shows but I love them I'm a huge fan I think they're brilliant and, and I think you know maybe I'm a typical younger person I'm sure I'm sure that the older folk who consume the BBC content used to hearing it on the radio people like my dad probably still tune in at a certain time but I think for if we're talking about the next generation I think the podcasting stuff really is the future of radio
4: mm. well speaking as a as a former writer of the Now Show and the News Quiz hey. Hey. I'm for just going to stop there I've got nothing else to say um, but I will say, when I was growing up uh, at, at school, uh, I was part of the, like, our comedy geeks. We had four or five in our year group, and we would be uh, exchanging cassette tapes of uh, the Goon Show. I'm sorry to read that again. Um, I'm sorry, having a clue, you know, back yeah. then, which was on its fiftieth series now, it's in yeah, its 90, just a minute. 90th. whatever. All those things, you know, mm. the Navy Light, even going back all back to there, and uh, and those little bite sized ways that we were exchanging those illicitly between lockers, <laughs> uh, <laughs> taping off the radio. Nowadays, it's podcasts, and yeah. that's
2: great that you know just the next generation of the comedy geeks can come through and love them as much as we did absolutely and comedy we're seeing some new entrants or awesome or repeat entrants and changes in the the mixture particularly when it comes to also faith based comedy and Paul specifically, specifically talked to you about this but one of the shows that you uh, mentioned to us on Twitter a couple of weeks ago which was where this chat began was around a show that uh, some people are now seeing as we uh, it's about to come into its third season I believe in the US mm. and then we'll follow over here on, on VOD is a, a show called The Good Place uh, you've yeah. been watching something this. Tell us a little bit about what you thought. Yeah,
4: about. well, I hadn't seen this until about uh, well, I think I contacted you about two weeks ago, and I think like a month ago, I sat down to watch episode one of season one, and then of course binged it all in about five days. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's one of these. It's a Netflix comedy. Uh, it's had two seasons of I think thirteen episodes each. So that's the sort of it's. You know, I think it's difficult nowadays to work out how many how long <clears it'll take throat> it will take you to get through a season because you just can't tell till it finishes. <laughs> um, but it's Ted Danson. It's um, uh, Kristen Bell. Uh, it's a good lineup. It's a high concept idea, basically being the afterlife. Yes, quite and, high concept. Uh, actually. Quite high, very high, <laughs> really high up there. And um, uh, it, it, it's an interesting uh, structure in that it's it's actually a, a serial, so every episode is moving the story along a bit more. It's not resetting each week. So for that reason, there are lots of spoilers in it. So I'm not going to go into exactly what happens, mm. apart from to say the setup really is that Kristen Bell dies, is told by this Ted Danson, who's Michael's, like the archangel Michael type thing. Uh, Congratulations, you're in heaven. And about ten minutes into episode one. She she sort of admits, going, I shouldn't really be here. There's been a big administrative error. <laughs> and then it's her trying to prove herself through the rest of the series that she should be there. And then that's when it unlocks something a bit new and a bit Different that her soulmate she's been matched with in this show is a moral philosophy professor. So every week then he's trying to present <coughs> a, her, dead a, philosophy a dead moral, a dead moral philosophy professor. And every week then he's trying to present her a different sort of moral philosophy and say this is how you can try and be a good person because she's very selfish. She only thinks of herself, which is what selfish means. And um, so one week she's trying utilitarianism. She going right, let's just work out the best thing for the the best number of people. Um, other week she's working out uh, relativism, whatever it might be. So different ways of unlocking big philosophical ideas in a sitcom format and of course it does uh, raise that Christian question of going well if their version of Heaven and Hell is who got the most good points in life mm. versus the most bad points in life that's maybe slightly different to where we might come from but I think this idea of getting a Christian version of Heaven and Hell whatever that might be onto a mainstream sitcom is probably a way off yet.
2: Yeah I've watched the first couple of episodes of this and it's um, what the enemy have called a deadcom <laughs> following these kind of guys which I think is a, yeah, a interesting <laughs> way of describing it yeah. and it's um, I I think that the concept that I found most interesting was it's just that taking these different as you say kind of moral concepts and trying to kind of play those out in a sitcom format which is pretty hard to the episodes are pretty short they're, they're following that kind of standard kind of 22 minute window and trying to kind of get through that kind of concept in such a short format is actually a very hard thing to do. do. Do you think it actually addresses some of those topics in a kind of credible way, or is it just a flippant kind of excuse to kind of, you know, a, a way of kind of hooking people like ourselves in to kind of go, oh, it must be a Christian style comedy, we'll just go watch it. I think it very much isn't Christian necessarily, but it is, I think, interesting. They do actually
4: uh, latch on to some fairly big moral philosophical ideas, and they're used as just the setups really. So in that sense, yes, it doesn't go that much that deep, but if you get interested in it, if you watch an episode, going, oh, I'm quite interested in. Uh, they talk talking about Socrates in this episode, or Plato, or any of these big, uh, big sort of philosophers of the past. You can then go away and look at these things. So, I think fair play to them for aiming quite high, so to speak. Uh, in, in, <laughs> oh, in, but no, but in work, in actually going, we're not going to do lowest common denominator stuff here. We're going to go into some quite big ideas, and if people want to catch up, they can. And do
3: you, do you think one of the? Do you think one of the um, episodes, if they're doing it for one each time, then in theory they could do one on grace. They could do one on actually, mm. you don't deserve to be in heaven, but God's loving and you. are here anyway, like That could be a legitimate well, philosophical Totally. Concept.
4: And one thing I've I, I read, they've not included this in the show, but one of the writers, I think the creator actually, who did Parks and Rec I think as well. Yes, amazing and Brooklyn, Brooklyn 99. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he said that they deliberately wanted to make this version of heaven a mix of all sorts of religious ideas of what heaven could be, but then deliberately not really mention any sense of religion. So there is this idea that in this version of the afterlife, you have Christian, Jew, Muslim, Hindu, atheist, everyone all mixing together. Um, and I think he's fully aware and sort of said that this is our version for the show, this is not what I think heaven is or anything um, but yeah I think it would be very interesting to see different uh, religious, different Christian, different theological ideas put in there as well but I think deliberately Everyone they are not did. going yeah. there yeah.
5: I saw Lady Bird last weekend has anybody seen Lady Bird?
4: I've not but I'd <laughs> like to
5: it's very nice, it's a great film um, but it's it's got a really interesting kind of religious current running through it so it's about this girl and her relationship with her mum and she's just about to leave um, um, secondary school, I guess, high school to go to college. Um, but it's a Catholic school. And so there are moments when it's, you know, it's a little bit possibly um, offensive to some people. They do it, they do go and eat a box of communion wafers just lying down on the floor. You know, there's that kind of thing where it doesn't take you too seriously. But it really struck me because it's got just a really gentle thing to say about how religion's kind of and going to church and being a part of mass has formed a backbone in this person's life and so there's a there's a moment at the end when she kind of chooses to go to church and then she has a big conversation after that and i just found it really interesting that this program this film even sorry not a program was um was using religion in a way was using christianity in a way that kind of talked about this person's life and how it made an influence on his life but there was no real kind of you know mention of it in any argumentative way or any disrespect potentially disrespectful way it's really interesting
2: I think that it's it follows a kind of trend of what we've seen kind of like some uh, this slew of both faith-based movies and and also television shows that are being picked up on places like Netflix and coming from these kind of uh, you know kind of over-the-top broadcast you know production suites which you're not seeing from the traditional movie studios and also uh, you're know, kind of traditional broadcasters because they have this ability to know exactly who might go and watch them right so they can make mm. a 11 part series or whatever it is of the good place first season out and then know exactly whether or not there are enough people to watch that in a very real way, as opposed to the kind of traditional broadcasters. And I wonder if you, you know, would we see the likes of something like, you know, obviously in the past we've had things like Rev, obviously, and Vicar of Dibley that have done very well, but we don't see many of these shows coming out of, you know, UK broadcasters, for Although,
5: example. Also, This Country, I don't know if you've watched This Country on BBC3, which is absolutely brilliant if you haven't three
2: you mean on the iplayer
5: on the iplayer um where (laughs) where the young people are yeah um yeah, so this country is a, is a programme about two young people living in a rural village and the vicar's a massive part of that and I don't know how the story's going to end but there's a really good, well-rounded character of a vicar who's really supportive and it, it's really interesting. It's this whole thing of, you know, let's, not, let's embrace that religion plays a part in people's lives and not hide it away into a corner.
4: And there was a BBC statement a few months ago I think saying we want to put more religion in comedy and drama and EastEnders and documentaries and, and things rather than as a separate issue, They go, "Oh, this is the religion show we'll be doing, but actually saying it's a part of people's lives, whether it's Christianity whether it's another, another religion, and in that sense I think there's, and I, I know I've been pitching ideas for about ten years now, involving vicars or church and they go oh we'll get letters, and they go good let's get a few letters, come on you know, <laughs> letters. Um, but I think in a way there's not been a better time than uh, recently than, than now to actually go in with confidence and say we want to talk about these, these big ideas, these religious ideas, go in with confidence and say, we know it, it's going to be okay um, and uh, and yeah, I think we've kind of got over the, the bump I think on a lot of the anti-theistic kind of, you know, the Ricky Gervais thing now seems a bit yes. old hat um, so
2: actually you can go in and say, look, these are issues in people's lives and let's talk about them a bit. Yeah. But talking about it, I mean, you mentioned Ricky Gervais, obviously he's just come now also on Netflix, you know, come back after, what is it, you know, and I think nearly 10 years of, since his previous stand-up and now coming back with a big routine uh, with Faith again being a large part of that and I think so you definitely see the kind of both sides of the coin there in terms of Netflix as, a, as an organisation being willing to bring that they're going to bring something like 700 new shows including like 80 plus movies next year so they've got there such a variety of things that are now commissioning as original content that they're bringing them to the screen that it's good that there is at least some mix on both ends of the spectrum that's discussing Faith in a way that we would want it to be discussed in, in maybe not overtly a Christian programme although mm. they are the Sole carrier, I think, of Veggie Tales, for example, in the UK on Netflix. Uh, if you're into kind of you know kids' classic uh, Christian broadcasting of the 80s, and bring it back, yeah, you know, those are those are opportunities that they are they're bringing forward. I think it's it's true what you say, though, Paul, of seeing these roles come back into faith and having that kind of open dialogue. I don't know if any of you watched the most recent uh, drama series on the BBC, Collateral, um, but the you know p- portrayal that uh, Nicola Walker, I think, it is, he plays the role of a a gay female vicar living in a London uh, you know kind of constituency um and she has a, a a female partner who is a, a also a illegal a immigrant technically because her, you know, her uh her authority to stay in the country lapses, basically. But, you know, the portrayal of that character is actually being very real and honest about, you know, what life might be like in that role. It, it's, it takes a daring you know kind of director to put that in or at least a producer to agree to kind of bring it to screen. So I just think we might be seeing more of this stuff coming than we have done before and hopefully, yeah, the move by the BBC yeah. is encouraging.
4: I think, and traditionally, you'd often see if it's a vicar on EastEnders or Midsummer Murders or something, it's because they've done a murder or something like that. It <laughs> seems to be very Never, was... never move there. Never, no, exactly. <laughs> there never seems to be quite a good reason to put a vicar or an, or anyone of faith in a drama or a continuing drama unless it seems there's a reason to go. Ah, well, you know, they preach the high and mighty things, but look, it turns out actually, you know, highly immoral. So it's nice that that's been opened up a bit more. And we can go look. This is life in all its honesty and and
2: uh, and just reflecting that. I think is nice. Absolutely. Well, you can go and check out the Good Place season three will be coming later on in the year to Netflix, and uh, there is obviously no higher role that you can kind of go and choose to play when it comes to the world of you know faith and broadcasting than playing Jesus himself, and that's exactly what Joaquin Phoenix has just been doing in the most recent portrayal of, of, I suppose in this case that character. But obviously, um, portraying Jesus is, is a hard task for anybody. Uh, Sam, you've actually uh, seen the film Mary Magdalene, obviously, uh, which comes out uh, today, actually, uh, for public release day. Of recording the uh, sixteenth of uh, uh, March, as we are sat in the studio today. What, what, First of all, what did you take of the film, and then, you know, what did you take of, uh, of Joaquin's uh, portrayal of of Jesus?
3: Well, I've been calling it actually the film that Christians have been waiting for and the reason I say that is I think a lot of Christians got a bit fed up after the Noah film where the Nephilim were reimagined as rock monsters I
2: don't, mm, don't know if you remember that yeah, I remember and they well. got a little Some bit n- ninja uh, angels with yeah, swords and, and there's,
3: there's been a few Hollywood films like that I mean don't get me wrong there's the notable exceptions so The Passion of the Christ and also Hacksaw Ridge incredible films with a real Christian message um, as part of them but generally speaking I don't think Hollywood in recent years has handled um, kind of sto- biblical stories in a way that Christians have been happy with to put it mildly so I think Christians have been a bit upset by Hollywood and what we've seen actually is Christians have kind of gone off and done their own stuff and they've done the God's Not Dead and these other Christian films which have sometimes been attacked for kind of lacking um, uh, good values when it comes to production and being a bit too preachy so so what we're left with we're left with either Hollywood doing a bad job of a Bible story or a kind of cheesy American Christian film and what's great about Mary Magdalene is it's neither of those two things so it's a proper Hollywood production done with good acting good scripting good dialogue um, and yet it also stays true to, to the Bible's message. It portrays Jesus as fully human, fully divine. It shows him dying, shows him rising again. Um, the only slightly controversial aspect of the film is that all of the male disciples don't really get it. They don't really understand what Jesus is all about. They're expecting this fiery revolution that Jesus is going to bring about. And yet Mary Magdalene really understands Jesus. She she gets it. Um, and so people said, oh, it has a feminist bent to it. And, and I'm not sure if that's, that's really fair in the sense that when I read the Gospels, I think a lot of the male disciples do come across as a, a little bit thick to put it kindly <laughs> so um, i thought in general it's very good in that sense my only criticisms have been um, to be honest it was a bit boring in places it was a bit slow it's two hours long and maybe it's because i'm a christian and i know how the story ends i could kind of see where it was all going Spoilers? Um, yes exactly i mean if you if you've there's read no the twist ending. yeah there's no <laughs> but that's a good thing right we don't want to twist any we don't want mary Magdalene kissing jesus at the end or, or whatever so um so generally i was very positive about the food film I do have to say though I think they really messed up on the location so they what it wasn't in Jerusalem well, was, was it Guildford
4: I've
2: been playing for this for a while you know Aylesbury perhaps <laughs> there's lots happening in Aylesbury you Ailesbury.
3: know what? I think if they'd done it in Guildford it would have been better they filmed it in Italy and it's just so obvious I think not just to those of us who have been to the Middle East but it's just so obvious it was not filmed anywhere near Israel so the setting really let it down but other than that production was good acting was good they stayed true to
2: the Bible so I think it's a win generally do you think that the majority of the American public that will probably go and see this movie will pick up that it's not in Italy and it's actually in Jerusalem <laughs> based upon the percentage probably, of them that have a passport I
3: couldn't possibly comment on that exact point um, <laughs> I, I yeah it, it was it was good it was a good film I think Christians will enjoy it but, but on a deeper level I do also want to say that this film raises really interesting theological questions if you're a Christian going and watching this because it shows Jesus as for, at one point for example being quite tired after performing a miracle and again, I think some for some people that might upset them. For me, it didn't. I thought, isn't that an interesting question? Because he was fully human. I mean, walking around divine. feeding
2: 5,000 people, it's going to yeah. be tiring. Mm.
3: And we see, uh, some pe- I mean, some of my colleagues who saw it thought, oh, Jesus comes across as a bit weak. I mean, I didn't personally get that. But I think just the fact we're having that discussion after the film of how was Jesus betrayed and what does this mean theologically and what do we mean by Christ emptying himself and does that mean that he felt a bit tired after feeding the 5,000 or whatever. I mean, it gets you thinking, it gets you talking, it gets you debating theology. And I think any film that uh, gets, people discussing theology whether they're Christians or not at the end of it is a
2: great film Paul when you're about to head out on a doing a tour looking at kind of all of these types of things does something like this help in a way it, it, does it actually help kind of pushing forward that message or is it you know, just another distraction or a hindrance actually to you know, getting people through to actually what the true story and portrayal is of the gospel
4: I, I'm always I'm particularly interested in those that thing that has a foot in in both church and, and media like a church media network you know but I like the fact that uh, that yeah this is in mainstream cinemas and that's a great thing um, you know if you you can put all the time and effort into these things I know a, a film producer who's making religious films and and yeah that frustration is sometimes you work and you You work and you work and you try and get it out there and it ends up on sort of five star or something and that's the highest it reaches you want it to get a good mainstream audience and so the fact it's got these big uh big it can the fact it can attract big hollywood film stars and uh you know this big it's the guy who made lion i think it was wasn't it that's right Mm. Um, it's his
5: second film
4: it's incredible isn't it you know uh, fair play fair play um, <laughs> so yeah I, I, I'm all for it and I, I love I've always loved seeing biblical epics I love films like that but I, and I like the ones that get it right because the worst one I would ever see if you ever get a chance to see it is uh, John Voight as Noah I forget I think the film was just called Noah or Noah's Ark or something um, and it's Noah and the Ark and they meet pirates and you think there weren't any pi- pirates pirates so is, and you know it turns out it's a flood but there were some people left behind and there's a scavengers, uh, okay. and scavenger one a, of Noah's cousins was feeling like a bit feisty and
2: there's a little train boat that
4: comes and sells them some things. This isn't in there. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and I know that the original the, the flood narrative is 99 verses. So you expand that to a Russell Crowe film or this film, you're going to have to add some
2: stuff. Yeah. But it depends. You know what you add is going to be true to the original story, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, I suppose the only other question I had is, um, Sam, you're the only one that's seen the movie, so you can probably tell us the best. But I'd appreciate everyone's opinion is that this movie is not about Jesus it is about Jesus it's about Mary well, so what's, yeah. what What did you take from that being and also given how that plays into obviously the maybe strategic timing of releasing a movie about Mary right now in the wake of everything that we've been talking about yes. the past couple of months with the yes. Me Too movement and all these other kind of aspects do you think that there's some kind of strategic choice that's mm. been made there well,
3: I have to almost apologise for the review that I've given just now verbally and the one that's in print because I'm aware I have reviewed it as if it's about Jesus I don't know if that is because I'm a guy or whatever but but for me even though it's called Mary even though she the central character because it is basically just telling the gospel story and the gospel story is about jesus not about mary for me it, it kind of did feel like it was about jesus now i don't know if that's just me and i'm a bloke watching this and or whatever um but i, I think the interesting thing that, that you you comment on there is this whole kind of the way the way i said it, it's been related to kind of feminism and it does portray a female disciple as being better and getting it more than the male disciples and I just wonder if our culture is kind of open to hearing that story and that's almost the message that comes through and as I say, some Christians might have an issue with that. For me I, I didn't. I thought, this. Did, for me this is a valid way of reading the New Testament um, because I think it's perfectly possible that mm. some of Jesus' early followers who are women kind of understood more of the complexities of who the Messiah was than the guys. I'm not saying that definitely happened but hey, it's, it's a reading of the story. Absolutely. So I think it's interesting that actually if you're not a Christian, you might go to that film and you might come away feeling like, well wow, Jesus really cared about women and Jesus cared about our cause and, and those sorts of things. That's one reading of this film and I, I think that might be one that, that wins some people over to at least considering the message of Jesus who wouldn't have done otherwise. But I say all of that as a bloke and I could yeah. be wrong and all the rest of it. I need to qualify that but um, it, it was an interesting watch. Well, not, just in, not just in
2: opinions. the effort of balance but also because, Linda, you are our, our female representative on the team today. It's like, Ooh, what,
5: what, what, I represent it? all women <laughs> <yes>. just <laughs> to make if that you, clear. I, I represent yeah. all men. If, if you, you could, could please me. speak
2: <laughs> on behalf of the female race. <laughs> on your, your general feelings about whether or not do we need a movie about Mary? I mean, is that something yes, that you've been of particularly we do. excited about?
5: Yeah, yeah, I think it's brilliant. I'm trying to remember, I think there's a campaigning group that uh, they might be called The Junior Project, I might have made that up. Um, fake news, again, sorry for me. But yeah, I just, I mean, these stories need to be told and I think there is so often such a uh, an idea that, the you know, the women in the Bible are the supporting characters and I really, you know, apart from Jesus, who is the character, Character. That's not the case, you know, the women were the first there. Um you know after he rose and you know the Mary and her courage to give birth to a, to Jesus and Mary Magdalene and the role that she played and yeah I think I think these stories need to be told
3: one of the really interesting things about that is that really the whole film is trying to do away with this in in the filmmakers views misconception that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute so the film really argues that that was a later edition and that's not an idea to be found in the Gospels which again the theologians listening will now have a field well, day debating that exactly including
4: Paul who has a theology degree and well now... I forgot all that stuff. I think it was an early Pope wasn't it who sort of <laughs> was saying about but I wonder as well how many film goes are going to see this thinking that Mary Magdalene is Mary as in mother of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And you realize that actually you know we all know the sort of certain knowledge but a lot of film goes they and just people at large don't know this stuff. yeah I was surprised that, um, when I did these children's books recently about Noah's sorry for the plug. Um Noah's Ark I did this book called Noah's Car Park Ark went to my kid's school she's 4 years old went to her class four and five year olds 30 of them I said who has ever heard of Noah's Ark? And I, I didn't expect every hand to go up. I expected maybe half. 20% of hands, I'd say, went up. And I thought, let's do the flip side. I know that you meant to test these things out. So said, who, who has never um, heard of Noah's Ark? And I'd say 80% of hands went up. And I was just surprised that five, yeah. four or five us have never even heard of Noah and the Ark. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I expect you ask people on the street, you know, who was Mary Magdalene? And I think a lot of them wouldn't yeah. have a clue. And so. I,
3: yeah. I think this is why it's important that Christians like me say, well, we do really care that when films are made, they do try and stay true to the story. Because, again, I've heard stories of people who saw the um, the most recent Hollywood production of Noah who genuinely think that's what the Bible says because yep. they've never read the Bible story they go see a film based on the story and they equate the two things and so again that's why I was pleased about Mary Magdalene because if you're not a Christian if you've never read the Bible you'll go into that film and you will come out having a very clear idea of who Jesus was and what his message was sorry I'm talking about Jesus rather than Mary Magdalene again but again the film to me was even though it was called Mary Magdalene it was about Jesus why he came and what he did and I, I found that quite remarkable
2: well We'll look forward to seeing what the reviews and uh, the popular opinion kind of sways, and maybe this one will come back up oh, again. Oh, the Guardian hated it. Uh, well, yeah, I've, I've seen uh, some of those are not particularly favourable. They're the better, better uh, pictures from other parts of the uh, the media elite. But we will see whether or not everyone agrees, as once we've all had a chance to watch it, and maybe we'll come back to that topic in the future. Well, um, it's not exactly a recommendation, but it's uh, up there. So coming up after this short interlude, we will be uh, wrapping up the show today with our recommendations of things you should be listening to, watching or reading in the coming weeks from things that we've been reading in the past few. Back with you in just a second. And we're back, so recommendations things you should be watching listening to reading uh consuming in some form or other. i need to find a better way of saying all of that uh and i'll start uh, this month with mr sam hales again what are you recommending to us this month sam
3: i'm recommending a podcast episode
2: very specific
3: very specific so um th- this may surprise you i'm actually going to recommend a podcast that's put out by christianity today which is a magazine in america is not premier christianity you should not confuse the two uh, but christianity today over in america <laughs> They do,
2: <laughs> lest the rivalry be
3: diminished. No. Well, Christianity Today are incredible, right? I mean, they're founded by Billy Graham. You can't, you can't really beat that. Fair you? enough. So um, they do wonderful work. I'm very happy to say that, and they put out a very good podcast called Quick to Listen. But the episode that I think people should really check out is called this, and it's a strange, it's a strange title: Newsweek's Second Coming Christ Problem. This is the quite remarkable story of how um, some of the people who are behind Newsweek, who part-own it, um, are part of a very strange quasi-Christian, almost, I hesitate to use the word, cult, who now part-own Newsweek and some of the story behind that. Um, so it's a wonderful mix of faith and um, media, which of course is what we're all about here at Signal. So I think, and it is a podcast, which again is what we're all about, so I think everyone will really enjoy this. Newsweek's second coming Christ problem, really fascinating
2: story, it's on the quick to listen podcast which is put out by christianity today and just so we kind of dig into the the story that sits behind this somewhat this is because the actual um you know kind of owner is has a certain interesting belief about a different type of jesus yes i think is the summary
3: so the first thing to say on this is it's an incredibly complicated story and that's (laughs) and that's why i encourage people to set out to listen to this hour-long podcast that sets it all out in great detail but basically um
2: yes is an answer to your question okay good well, I'm glad we cleared that up. Um, <laughs> Paul, uh, what would you be recommending that you've been listening to whilst you've been travelling up and down the M1? Um, I, I do a lot of my
4: reading via my ears, um, and you can drive and listen to it. It's audiobooks, they're called. They're called audiobooks. Oh. And I'm not going to just recommend the genre of audiobooks. Okay, good. I'm going to recommend. Because Ruth's
2: not here, so we don't need to
4: explain this. <laughs> oh, uh, that's true. This is. Do not on a future show. But for when she listens, we'll have to catch her up. Um, so it's an audiobook by uh, Tom Bissell, or Bissell. I'm going with Bissell. Uh, it's called Apostle Travels Among the Tombs of the Twelve. It was out, I think. Last year, maybe year before, and I am slowly going through it. Um, it's a non-fiction, a travel He's actually a travel writer, mostly. He's a, a journalist, and he also wrote, co-wrote the disaster artist, the book that became the film recently about yes. one of the worst ones of all time. But he's also written this. He, he seems to have won this grant. He mentioned it in like one line in this book where he won a grant to live in a big mansion in Rome for a year when he was just provided had all his food provided. I thought this sounds brilliant. Um, so he used that Lovely. time to um, to tour around all of the tombs of apparently where the bones are of all the disciples and so he's sort of spending a portion of the book relating their stories and a portion as well just telling the experience of going to visit all of their tombs really and it's a fascinating, I learn lots on every page and I recommend it.
2: Okay, so name us the book again and the author? The book is called Apostle Colon. Travels Among the Tombs of the Twelve by Tom Bissell. Available to listen to and probably read somewhere. I think so. With a physical copy as well. I mean to me it just sounds like a, a kind of Christian version of Tomb Raider but maybe that's just my uh, brain uh, going in that, that space. Uh, Tomb Raider also out this week in uh, cinemas. Yep. Not seen it yet. Looking forward to it like Lara Croft. Okay, okay. and um, the the video game reboot I must uh, employ actually of a couple of years ago the definitive edition which is what the new movie is based upon. This isn't my recommendation. I've not well, seen it.
3: I, I, so, I, someone needs to like, find the off button on James. I tried to go high just You yeah. see what happens, you try and it
4: just
2: goes okay. low. So, Christian Team Raider available now. Uh, Linda, what's your recommendation? Um, I've just
5: read a really great book called Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine. I think the author is called Gail Honeyman. Um, it's a really lovely book and it deals with some really interesting themes about loneliness and... Um, <clears throat> What people have gone through and friendship, and uh, it's just really, really great. It's not a Christian book, it's not particularly highbrow. But if you just want something that makes you cry and makes you feel better about the world, read it.
2: It's one that's been pretty well reviewed, like all over the place, won a ton of awards, and it's doing very well.
5: I think Reese Witherspoon, maybe, has bought the rights to make it a film. Exciting somebody's making it a film I Might be be surprised. Someone, Might be someone I'm sure else.
2: will do so yeah. uh, definitely one to read uh, and check out so uh, yeah Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine completely fine that's good to know all right well uh, those are the recommendations from the team so that brings it to the end of this month's show and uh, just to kind of forecast you forward to a couple of things that we've got coming up from the media net for most of you you know who the media net are uh, it's our lovely uh, crew of people that make the signal podcast happen and uh, are impossible uh, are you UK network for Christians who work in and with the media and we've got a few em- events and things like that coming up over the coming weeks we're going to be doing meetups in a couple of cities both Manchester and Bristol um, throughout the month of June and so if you are around in either of those cities and you'd like to either come along or participate uh, we've got two events happening there uh, in June and a uh, following one actually in July the Bristol one will be and also to forward and let you know that October 19th is the date for the annual conference in London that is the Faith and Media conference where uh, many of us will be back there i hope i'm sure uh doing our thing once again paul i think you're you're back there this year yeah
4: doing a thing on pitching
2: Apparently, on pitching yes what, so will, what will we be pitching we'll be pitching uh, we'll, we'll be learning how to be better
4: pit- pitchers so pi- pitching
2: pitching we're pitching pitching okay Yeah. Not, not
4: pictures but
2: pictures. Pit- so. pit- uh, okay Yeah. <laughs> yeah. good P- pitching pitching <laughs> yeah. so pitching pitching with Paul Carenzo yes. say that three times fast and exactly. you will get a prize that will be at uh, one of the many sessions that will be on offer this year at the church media conference October 19th uh, tickets and things will be coming available very soon on Eventbrite so stay tuned to the medianet.org uh, you can also find out more information about the National Day of Prayer as well as the conference all there on the website and you can also follow along with all of us on Twitter and in the Facebook group uh, on Twitter we're at The Media Net and the Facebook group is Christians in the Media UK you can go find the Facebook group there and join in the conversation if you've got any feedback for the team on the show let us know on Twitter with hashtag signal and at The Media Net and you can find each of these lovely people also out on the interwebs as well Sam where can people find you? at Sam Hales and Paul at Paul Carenza and Linda
5: at Lindada
2: okay nice yeah, no, oh, I
5: like no, that. thanks thanks very much that's
2: a good name uh, you can find myself at James Poulter on most of the social media things uh, I'll be there at some point or other nice to hear you all uh, and nice to hear our guests here thanks so much for joining us uh, Lynn Davies Paul Carenza and obviously my co-host Sam Hales uh, Ruth will be back hopefully next month when she's not on holiday skiing and doing other things uh, I'm sure we'll have something to teach her about when she gets back uh, she can tell us about the world of skiing because that's one thing I'm not very good at and um, we'll do a, a knowledge exchange then um okay that's enough mansplaining for this month. Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> uh you can find us always here on Signal. Go back and check out other episodes of the podcast on your podcasting app of choice Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, all the places where you might have downloaded this. Go leave a review and rating, five stars, all that good stuff. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you again next month on Signal from the MediaNet.
1: Is it me you're looking for? As brands, we're always wanting to make a connection to find the person you can rely on, the one that's there every week, month, or year, and always has your back when you need them the most. It's a little like matchmaking, don't you think? With ACAST Podcast Ads, you can filter for your exact dream audience so you can find the ideal customer for your business. The Romeo to your Juliet, the Rachel to your Ross, the Bert to your Ernie, and avoid those red flags and time wasters.